Discipline comes from a loving father, and we'll notice that this morning, and it is for our good. Uh, And then we're going to talk about the discipline that we do not choose, and then choosing what we would not choose. Hebrews, the 12th chapter, in verse 5, it says, Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. I'm going to read to you from the New Living Translation, which is more kind of a thought for thought instead of a word-for-word type translation. But I think it helps us to understand what the Hebrew writer is talking about here. It says, My child, do not ignore it when the Lord disciplines you, and don't be discouraged when He corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those He loves, and He punishes those He accepts as His children. What we're going to give consideration to is that discipline that is given to us from the Lord. It's for our good, and it's for our growth, it's for our healing, and it's for maturity. And so God wants us to see, wants us to see our lives from his perspective and what he's trying to do in our lives. Oftentimes, and the reason why I said that I left that word discipline out of the title is because we have a tendency to kind of jump to a conclusion and it's oftentimes negative whenever you think about discipline. I'll give you a quick illustration from my own childhood. On one occasion, I must have been about eight, nine years old, and it was in early summer. And on the old farmhouse that we lived in, there was a kitchen that the back door went out onto a porch, and then you stepped into the backyard and on this particular occasion I had either done something I shouldn't do or failed to do something that I should my mom had had it with me and she said I want you to go out there and I want you to pick your own switch that's back in the day when they could give you a good licking without calling the police right (laughs) I want you to go out there and get a switch and I want you to bring it back in here so I went out there and off that tree I found the leafiest switch limb that I could pick and I pulled it off that tree and I walked back in there and handed it to my mom and I could tell by the look in her eye she was not pleased with the switch that I had picked. (laughs) But nonetheless, she took it and she lit into me (laughs) and as I went running out the back door, there were leaves all over the kitchen floor. (laughs) Now, the Hebrew writer says, do not regard lightly. Well, as a kid, I didn't give it much thought. I didn't like it. I didn't want to have anything to do with it. I didn't want to stop and think about what she was trying to teach me. And the reason why I picked that particular switch is because I was kind of making light of it. And she realized it. And so that just kind of added to what she gave me on that occasion. I want to run down through these verses from chapter 12 real quick. And then we'll look at other verses to add to this. So I want us to kind of get in our minds what the Hebrew writer is talking about as he talks about discipline and discipline coming from the Lord. Verse 5. Do not regard lightly. What that means is don't treat it as a small thing. I want you to think about it. Verse 6. 
whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. So discipline comes from a loving father. Verse 7. It is for discipline that you endure. In other words, it may take a little while. Verse 8. If left without discipline, you're like illegitimate children. And he wants us to understand that. You are sons of God. And that's the reason why he is doing this. Verse 9. He draws the contrast and he says... We had earthly fathers that disciplined us and we respected them. How much more should we respect the father of our spirits? Verse 10. Discipline is for our good that we might become partakers of his holiness. He wants us to be like him. Verse 11. At the moment, no discipline seems pleasant. But afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So what's he say? He wants us to know, as children of God, it comes from a loving Father. And it's for our good. And he has a purpose in mind. And he wants you to think about the design and the method that he uses. First thing, discipline is for our good. Now, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5 and 6. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not, New King James Version says, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Another translation says, do not regard lightly. Nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And he scourges every son whom he receives. That word receives, that means the one that he admits. It means the one that he accepts. So the Hebrew writer is saying, he acknowledges you as one of his children. And that's a blessing. Verse 11, he goes on to say that discipline at the moment may not seem pleasant. But in verse 5, when he talks about discipline, and here's what we need to understand as we think about what he's saying. That word discipline suggests teaching and training, correcting, reproving, Sometimes it may include physical punishment. But keeping in mind all of that as it talks about discipline, it's teaching and it's training. And we need to keep that in mind. Now here's a verse we want to add to this. In 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, about verses 7 through 10, the Apostle Paul mentions on that particular occasion that he had been given a thorn in the flesh. And he said the reason why he was given that thorn in the flesh is because of the abundance of revelation that he had been given. He said, so that I might not be exalted. What's he saying? He said, I was given this thorn in the flesh. We're not told exactly what that thorn in the flesh is. But he says, it is a messenger of Satan. 
that I might not be exalted above measure. Paul is saying because of all that he had received from God, there was a real chance he might just become proud and puffed up and get the big head. And then he wouldn't serve God the way he should. So he was given this. Why? So that he might remain humble. He was being taught. He was being trained. He had to endure something physically to keep him humble. Latter part of Hebrews chapter 11. I want you to notice this. Starting at verse 36. This is talking about the Old Testament. Those who lived according to their faith and the things that they had to go through that they had to endure. Chapter 11 and verse 36. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. All these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. The Hebrew writer is saying because of their faith, they went through all of this. And they received a good testimony in regards to their faith. They stayed faithful. I want you to turn to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. Oftentimes we want to quote verse 13 where Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But there's something that goes with that, that goes before that. Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to begin at verse 11. Paul says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned... In whatever state I am in, to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In verse 12. This is the way the New King James reads. In another translation, New American Standard, Paul says, I've learned the secret. In other words, I've learned how to get by on a little. I've learned how I should conduct myself when I am being greatly blessed. I've learned the secret to that. And so therefore, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Back to the book of Hebrews. This time I want to add verse 7. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 7. He says, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? 
Paul says, well, the Hebrew writer says, someplace, Paul, if you endure, another translation says, you must endure for chastening. And that's what I was suggesting to you earlier. Sometimes it takes time. Paul had that thorn in the flesh for a long time. So as we begin to put these verses together, discipline is teaching. And it's training. Through that teaching and through that rebuking, Sometimes it comes through trials. Sometimes it comes through suffering. Sometimes it comes through physical infirmities. Sometimes it comes through persecutions. And what we've got to understand is that sometimes those are allowed by God. Sometimes they are sent by God. A loving Father, allowing it, sending it for our good. Intended to open our hearts to Him. And to grow our hearts towards others. And yet at the same time, We don't like discipline. And we shy away from it. And oftentimes, we fail to consider it. And that's what the Hebrew writer is saying. Do not regard lightly. Some translators say, don't make it a small thing. God wants you to think about what you're going through. And He can use it For our good. So discipline. Is for our good. Now secondly. The discipline. We do not choose. Hebrews 12 and verse 11. He says. That no discipline. Seems pleasant at the moment. In other words. Generally speaking. We don't like it. And we don't want it. And especially we don't want it if it's going to be faithful. (laughs) If it's going to be painful. You understand that as a kid, right? (laughs) Your parent is going to punish you for something and you say, oh, well, let me sit on a chair for a while. No, go get that switch. (laughs) Well, I would prefer to sit on the chair. Well, I'm not asking you what you prefer. And so, we're not generally in favor of discipline, but we're especially not in favor of discipline if it's going to hurt. But keeping in mind, discipline is teaching, it's training, it's shaping, it's forming, it's molding, it's making. So let me give you this illustration. You come to understand what you've got to do in order to become a Christian. And you do that. I did that. Several years ago. And then I understood, as a Christian, Acts 20 and verse 7. 
The disciples came together upon the first day of the week to break bread. That's teaching. That's training. Okay, I'll do that. And so I came. And then somebody said, we'll do this next Sunday too. Next Sunday? Yeah, and the one after that. You just changed your life. And God's Word is teaching, training you. This is where you ought to be on the first day of the week and assembling with other disciples. And you're like, okay, I can do it. So we come together, we break bread, we sing songs, we pray, and then somebody says, you should give of your means. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> now you want me to give my money that I work for that is mine. You want me to... Yeah, that's teaching. That's training. So that's just a little bit more challenging. Jesus was teaching, or was teaching about religious training, spiritual training in the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew 6 and verse 3, he says, When you give alms, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. In other words, you do this, but you're not doing it for show. And when you pray, go in your closet. Don't stand on the street corner. And when you fast, wash your face. So what's Jesus saying? He's teaching. He's training. Religion is not some kind of show. And you're not doing this so other people will look at you and go, Oh, well, that's a godly person. No, he's saying you do this because your Heavenly Father says you should do this. And he's teaching. He's training. He's shaping. He's molding you. We're like, okay, I can do that. But then he goes on in that same chapter and he says, down about verse 11, and when people persecute you and say all kinds of evil things about you for my sake, you know what I want you to do? I want you to rejoice. And I want you to be glad. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now you're like, wait a minute. So somebody is attacking me. They're saying all kinds of bad things about me. And I should rejoice. Yeah. I should be glad. Yeah. Why? Well, that's the way they treated the prophets before you. So we have to keep in mind that discipline is teaching, it's training, it's correcting, it's molding, shaping, helping us to grow, mature, and become more like Him. And so Jesus says when you're spoken evil of, you should rejoice, you should be glad. So then we add James to this. And James says, when you encounter various trials, 
that you should be joyful. My brethren, when you encounter various trials, you should be joyful. And you should have patience. And let patience have its perfect result that you might be made complete, lacking in nothing. So James says the same thing. Those things that we face that are difficult, that are challenging, that we should have joy about those because those are helping us to develop patience. And patience, if we stay with it, because that's what the Hebrew writer is saying, that you should endure it, it'll help make you complete, make you whole. But once again, that's not what we chose, is it? So discipline may come in all different shapes and sizes. And your testing may be different than mine and mine may be different than someone else's. But this is what the Hebrew writer is saying is that it's for our good. And it tests our faith. And if we endure it, it changes us. It serves Him. It serves others. And it results in our righteousness and our eternal glory. So trials and testing and discipline can at times kind of rock our world. It really challenges. It can knock us off balance. And sometimes we will say, I don't understand what's going on. And sometimes we may ask the question, where's God? And how is this any benefit to me? And I'm having trouble seeing it. And so, the New Testament writers wants us to understand that's testing. That's trying. That's purifying your faith. It's that molding and shaping. And it's that serving. And God allows it. And sometimes He brings it. And it's for our good. But we don't choose it. And if it's up to us, we get rid of it. I don't want this in my life. And I want it removed. Isn't that what Paul was saying? He pleaded with the Lord three times that it might be removed. And what was the Lord's answer to him? My grace is sufficient for you. This is in your best interest. So, Right here, you might be thinking, well, this would be a good place for an illustration, wouldn't it? <laughs> Why don't you give us some kind of illustration where somebody was really challenged with something in their life and it really tested their faith, but yet they remained faithful and they stayed with it and they overcame it and as it turned out, it was in the best interest for them spiritually and it brought glory to God. 
So, give us an illustration. My answer to that is, I don't need to give you an illustration. You know why? Because you have your own illustration. So instead of an illustration, we ask a question. What's the spiritual discipline in your life that you did not choose? What's there testing, challenging your faith that you didn't choose? You didn't ask for it. You don't really want it. It's painful. And it's challenging. And you don't even really want to think about it. But the Hebrew writer says, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. And so did God allow it? Did God send it? And how does that fit into your life? Because as we think about it, there's all kinds of issues that we face as people, as Christians. There's health issues. There's heart issues. There's physical injuries. There's disabilities. There's disease. All of that. And in addition to that, sometimes there's families that have children with special needs. And that can be trying. That can be exhausting. Emotionally, physically, financially. And there's the constant care. And it's not going away. And then there's elder care. That could be on the other end of the spectrum. Sometimes there can just be financial issues. Sometimes there can be relationship issues. And we feel like we're reaching out, but nobody's reaching back. So I don't need to give you an illustration. You got your own. I got mine. And so when we first become Christians, and we start to learn a little bit about discipline and about teaching and training, and we're taught about obeying the gospel, and we're taught about worshiping, giving of our means, we're like, okay. But then we read a little further. And then we start to learn about the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. And that's to be a part of our life. And we're to put off the works of the flesh. Hatred and jealousies, selfish ambitions and dissensions and sexual sins, sins of the flesh. 
How's that happen in our life? So how do we respond when discipline, challenges happen in our lives? When those things come that expose our weaknesses or our holes in our character and we need to be made complete and God allows or he sends discipline intended to strengthen us to heal us emotionally mentally spiritually that we may grow as James says that we might be made complete and the Hebrew writer says it's for our profit that we might become partakers of his holiness let me suggest to you generally there's three ways in which we respond one way in which people sometimes respond is they they rebel Sometimes when people are confronted with challenges and difficulties in their life, they rebel and they become mad. They're mad at God. They're mad at other people. And they don't want to think about it. And I don't care if there's any benefit in this for me. I just want to be rid of it. And that's where the Hebrew writer comes in again in chapter 12 and verse 7. He says, you must endure. Stay with it. Stay faithful. That's how it works out for your good. And how God has served. But yet sometimes people want to just turn away. And they rebel. A second way is resignation. (laughs) Something happens in their life, challenging, and they just feel powerless against it. They can almost get to the point where they feel like life is just over. Or they may ask themselves this question (laughs) How can I serve God in this situation? When I was young and when I was healthy and when I was whole, then I could serve God. But when I have some kind of ailment or challenge or infirmity, how am I supposed to serve God in this? I can't. And so they just kind of resign. And instead of being victorious, they become victims. And the tragedy is that hope can disappear. You know what happens to a life in that situation? It wills. You know what happens to a heart in that situation? It shrinks. It closes up. 
It's not open to God. It's not open to other people. You ever heard the old phrase, misery loves company? <laughs> and sometimes that's, that's what happens. But then there's a the third choice. And that's what Jesus gave us in Matthew, the fifth chapter. Because when he talked about persecutions and people speaking evil of you and all these kinds of things, he said, Rejoice. And be glad in it. You're in good company. Well, that's not just only for persecution or something, somebody speaking evil of you. That's what the Hebrew writer is talking about in Hebrews, the left chapter. All those things that people went through and the challenges that they faced in life. He says, rejoice and be glad in it. So in essence, what Jesus is saying is, when those challenges come, this is what I want you to do. I want you to hold your head up. I want you to put your shoulders back. And I want the sun to shine in your heart. <laughs> and that's not that sun. <laughs> It's S-O-N, son. That's the posture I want you to choose. And you know why? Because you know who you are. And you know who you belong to. And you know the hope that you have. And so James says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And let patience have its perfect result. That you might be made complete. Lacking in nothing. So how do I get from rebellion or resignation to rejoicing? That's a hard journey. That is a rough road. You know what Scripture is saying? That's the same road that others have traveled. So when you think about Jesus, when you think about James, when you think about Peter, when you think about Paul, when you think about the Hebrew writer, they're saying that's the road we went down. So that's a tough journey, but it's a possible journey. Now I want to read to you from Hebrews the 12th chapter in verse 1 and 2. He says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of God. So Jesus says we're in good company. And James says we should count it joy when our faith is tested. And Peter says that's how it's purified. And it's through discipline that we are made more like God. 
And He wants us to endure it so that we might mature from it. And it brings an eternal crown of glory. And see, that's the road that Jesus traveled. And He says, for joy, He did that. So you know what happens when we stop and we consider that road that those Old Testament faithful people traveled? You know what happens when we consider the road that Jesus traveled and James traveled and Peter traveled and Paul traveled? What will happen is we'll find ourselves choosing the discipline that we would not choose. So that's the third point. I want to turn this time to the book of 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. I'm going to read to you what Paul says there. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 7. Paul says, And lest I should be exalted above measure, by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, listen to what He says, Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. See what Paul's saying? He said, now I choose that. I prefer that now. Because when I'm weak, then I'm made strong. Because I'm not looking to self. Now I'm looking to Him. At Philippians 4, and verse 13, that's where Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's when we learn to choose what we otherwise wouldn't choose. And then we begin to see life and we begin to see ourselves and we begin to see trials and we see challenges differently. Because we can see that there's, there's a benefit for us. And whenever that happens, then we don't just endure it. Then it's when we start to embrace it. And instead of feeling like something has been taken from me, Now it's something that we choose. I want to read to you from Philippians 3 this time, verse 7 through 11. We start to wrap this up. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 through 11. Paul says, For what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, 
not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, so that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. What's Paul saying? All those things that I gave up, I gladly do that so that I may gain Jesus Christ. All those things that I went through, I want to know the fellowship of His sufferings so that I might attain to the resurrection. See, that's the road that Jesus chose to travel. And He's been exalted to the right hand of God. And so Paul says that I might know the fellowship of His sufferings. See, there's a freedom that comes when we choose what we normally wouldn't choose. So I'll just close with this. Lord, help us to see that you're the author and you're the finisher of our faith. And that we do need to stop and think about this and how these things can benefit us. See, oftentimes we talk about agape love and how that's a sacrificial love. And sometimes we study the Old Testament or the, uh, the Hebrew word hest, which means God's unfailing love, which He showed through to Israel. Sacrificial love, unfailing love. And we read those words, and mentally we understand. But Paul says, I want to know the fellowship of His sufferings. So how do I learn sacrificial love unfailing love sometimes it's in the middle of those challenges and we have to show that and we have to endure that and that helps us to become like him so secondly we also need to see that He's not done with us. That He's still completing us. And then thirdly, we need to understand the kind of love that was shown to us. In Romans the 5th chapter, verse 8, Paul says, God demonstrated His love towards us while we were still in our sins. But in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, the love of God controls us. What's he mean? The kind of love that was shown to me is now what motivates my love. Sacrificial, unfailing, so that I might be like him and that I might show the same thing in my life. So do not regard lightly the, the discipline of the Lord. It's for our good, coming from a loving Father, so that we can be more like Him. If we understand all those things, then we'll find ourselves choosing that which we normally would not choose.
I want to extend the invitation this morning to any and all that are here. If you've never rendered obedience unto the gospel of Jesus Christ, why not do that this very day? Jesus said, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. If you're a child of God and not been living faithfully as you should, you need to come back and we can help you make your relationship right with the Lord this morning. You let us know while together we stand and while we sing.